0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratz. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 28, 2014. I'll start this week's podcast with a letter from Treasury Secretary Jacob Lew that asks Congress to address the debt limit before Treasury once again has to use extraordinary measures to keep the country funded. I also have news about a one-month delay of the release of the President's fiscal year 2015 budget as well as a reminder about tonight's State of the Union Address. I'll share some thoughts about tax extenders' legislation as well. In our Low-Income Housing Tax Credit segment, I alert listeners to the release of a report that looks in-depth at the cost of building affordable housing. The report is the latest in a series from Enterprise Community Partners and the Urban Land Institute. I also share a request for comments from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. The agency is requesting comments on setting a baseline for renewable energy capacity at public housing units and multifamily housing portfolios. Then, in our historic task credit discussion, I have information about more than $2.2 million in historic preservation grants that the National Park Service has awarded to American Indian tribes across the country. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I have information about two Department of Energy webinars that will be taking place this week. One addresses tribal communities and renewable energy, and the other addresses energy efficiency in multifamily housing. Also, I'll share information about Wisconsin legislation that would extend the state's Renewable Energy Tax Credit to older facilities. I also have an interesting bit of information about the use of RECs at this year's Super Bowl. And finally, in this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, I share information from a keynote speech that the CDFI Fund's Bob Ibanez gave at the Novogradic New Markets Tax Credit Conference last week in San Diego. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I have an update on the debt limit. Treasury Secretary Jacob Lew sent lawmakers a letter on January 22nd asking them to raise the debt limit before February 7th. As you may recall, the Continuing Appropriations Act of 2014 suspended the statutory debt limit until February 7th. After the suspension period ends, the country will again reach the debt limit, Lou said. He said that the United States would likely reach the de- debt limit in late February or early March, with late February being much more likely. Now when I say reach the debt limit, I mean they will have exhausted their extraordinary measures. Secretary Lewis sent letters to House Speaker John Boehner, House Democratic Leader Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, and Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell. In the letters, he said that Treasury will once again be forced to use extraordinary measures to finance the government if Congress does not act before February 7th. Lou said that the length of time... That the country's borrowing authority can be extended will be shorter this time than it has been in past years. This is due to the time of year. It's expiring before tax returns are due. The federal government will expend a significant amount of money in February for tax refunds. And the tax revenue you'll get is more likely to be received sometime closer to April 15th. In February 2013, for example the government experienced net cash outflows of $230 billion. I'll keep you updated on any congressional actions that might affect the debt limit via Twitter and future podcasts. In other news, The Hill is reporting, and a number of other sources are as well, that President Obama will release his fiscal year 2015 budget on March 4th. That's one month after the President's statutorily mandated budget deadline. The Hill and other sources cited Budget Office spokesman Steve Posner as saying that Congress's two-year budget deal and this year's omnibus spending bill contributed to the delay. Congress, though, can begin work on their fiscal year 2015 appropriations bills without the President's budget because the two-year budget bill set the overall spending amount for next year. I'll keep you updated as we learn more about what might be included in the President's budget proposal. Now, as you know, tonight is the President's 2014 State of the Union Address. Last year, during his annual address, President Obama mentioned solar and wind power. He also suggested making the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit permanent and refundable. Well, obviously, that hasn't happened yet but it will be interesting to hear if he includes the expired credit and other tax extenders in this year's address. I'm also interested to hear if he mentions anything about tax reform in general. I'll share any relevant content in next week's podcast. Regarding tax extenders, for now, they remain in the back seat in the House as Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp and other Ways and Means Committee members continue promoting tax reform to the Republican Caucus. After the coming Republican retreat, all eyes will be on Chairman Camp to see if he releases a comprehensive tax reform bill or if he acknowledges the lack of an end game in the Senate to get tax reform passed and in turn looks to other tax matters. If he does turn to other tax matters, tax extenders may move to the forefront. Currently, many commentators are noting that debt ceiling extension could be a vehicle for tax extenders, though the end-of-February deadline may make that not possible. Other tax-related legislation that could help pass tax extenders in the month or two ahead includes the so-called DOC fix, as well as extension of long-term unemployment benefits. If tax extenders are not passed in the next month or two, then many believe they won't pass until after the November elections. In any event, stay tuned for future updates. In low-income housing tax credit news, Enterprise Community Partners and the Urban Land Institute released a report earlier this month called Bending the Cost Curve, Solutions to Expand the Supply of Affordable Rentals. The study is the latest in a series of reports about the costs associated with developing affordable rental housing. Regular listeners may remember that Enterprise and Urban Land Institute released an initial report in December. That one was entitled, Bending the Cost Curve on Affordable Rental Development, Understanding the Drivers of Cost. It found that certain regulations and financing obstacles make developing affordable housing difficult and expensive. This latest report builds on the previous one by suggesting ways to lower those costs. Its recommendations fall into six broad categories. 1. Streamline the transaction process. 2. Reduce construction costs and delays. 3. Shorten deal assembly and development timelines. 4. Improve and align incentives. 5. Increase the flexibility of existing financing sources and create new financial products. 6 share best practices regarding cost control. These recommendations address all players in the affordable housing industry, developers, investors, and advocates, as well as federal, state, and local leaders. I should note, the report named the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit as the primary source of equity for affordable multifamily developments. And one of its specific recommendations is to make the 4% Low-Income Housing Tax Credit that's associated with taxes and bonds More flexible by allowing alternate sources of debt financing, allowing private placement of bonds or direct bond purchases, and exploring parity trust indentures. Another recommendation was for state housing agencies to evaluate low income housing tax credit applications by geographic location. The report concluded with three key statements 1. Cost drivers are complex and deeply intertwined. 2. Stakeholders must be willing to collaborate. And three, strong leaders are needed in every stakeholder group to bend the cost curve. You can find a copy of the report at www.taxcredithousing.com. In other Long-Comb Tax Credit news, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development last week issued a notice requesting public comment on its efforts to establish a baseline assessment of the renewable energy capacity in HUD's public housing and federally assisted multifamily housing portfolios. This assessment will support President Obama's Climate Action Plan, which calls for the installation of 100 megawatts of renewable energy generation by the year 2020 at Low Income Housing Tax Credit, U.S. Department of Agriculture Rural Development, and public housing and multifamily assisted properties. The Climate Action Plan is a broad-based plan designed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, known to cause climate change and affect public health. It's also meant to prepare the country for the effects of climate change and lead international efforts to combat global climate change and prepare for its impacts. I strongly suggest that employees of housing organizations that are receiving funding from HUD, specifically public housing agencies, as well as HUD-assisted multifamily property owners, to take advantage of this information collection in order to address the issue effectively. HUD will accept comments until March 24, 2014. And to learn more about the number of HUD programs mentioned in this segment, I encourage you to go to www.hudresourcecenter.com. In historic tax credit news, I have information about historic preservation on tribal lands. Earlier this month, The National Park Service awarded more than $2.2 million in historic preservation grants to 135 American Indian tribes across the country. The Historic Preservation Fund provides annual funding to Tribal Historic Preservation Offices. The purpose of these grants is to protect and conserve important tribal, cultural, and historic assets and sites. The grants help preserve native languages, oral history, plant and animal species important in traditions in sacred and historic places. They also help with the establishment of Tribal Historic Preservation Offices. The National Park Service administers the Historic Preservation Fund and distributes annual matching grants to State and Tribal Historic Preservation Offices from money made available in Congressional appropriations. Tribes can use the grant money to fund nominations to the National Register of Historic Places preservation education, architectural planning, community preservation plans, and physical repairs to buildings. An example of a recent project funded by the Historic Preservation Fund is an historic preservation survey of nearly 196,000 acres of tribal land. This resulted in more than 7,000 archaeological sites and 1,300 historic properties being added to tribal inventories. Additionally, Tribal Historic Preservation Offices prepared nominations of 64 sites for the National Register of Historic Places. As you know, being added to the National Register makes the properties eligible for historic tax credits. The National Park Service said that this round of grant funding will most likely be augmented with the Congressional Budget Agreement for the remainder of fiscal year 2014. To learn more about this grant program, visit the National Park Service's website at www.nsp.gov. In renewable energy Task credit news, the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE, announced it will host several free webinars this month. There are two webinars in particular that may interest you. One is for the DOE's Tribal Renewable Energy Series. It's called Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy Market Updates. It's about how renewable energy developments and technology can benefit tribal communities. It'll air tomorrow, Wednesday, January 29th, from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The second webinar that I'd like to bring to your attention is entitled Overcoming Persistent Barriers to Energy Efficiency in Multifamily Housing Through Partnerships. That webinar will discuss how state energy offices can partner with housing authorities, utilities, and private investors in bringing energy-efficient practices to multifamily housing. And that webinar will air on Thursday, January 30th from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I encourage you to check these out. The webinars are free, but advanced registration is typically required. And you can register for the webinars at www.energy.gov. Turning to state-level news, the Wisconsin State Assembly passed a bill last week that would qualify older energy production facilities for renewable energy tax credits. Under current law, Renewable energy tax credits are only available for facilities that went online after June 2010. Assembly Bill 596 would allow facilities operating before 2010 to qualify for the credits. If enacted, the legislation could benefit many of Wisconsin paper mills that use fossil fuel, hydropower, and wood chips. The bill was introduced earlier this month by Reps Mike Kuglich and Bob Culp. Also, Senators Robert Cowles and Paul Farrow introduced a companion bill in the Senate. Assembly Bill 596 was sent to the Senate for consideration. You can find a copy of the bill at www.energytaxcredits.com. I'd like to wrap up the Energy Tax Credit news today with some information about the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is this Sunday between the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos. Now, while I'm disappointed that our own San Francisco 49ers were eliminated in the last round... I'm pleased to hear that the game will be run on green energy. Public Service Enterprise Group, or PSEG, announced that it will purchase and retire one Renewable Energy Credit, or REC, for every megawatt hour of electricity used to power the event. RECs will offset the energy used at MetLife Stadium, both teams' hotels, and at the Super Bowl Boulevard event in Times Square. PSEG is purchasing solar RECs generated by the 3-megawatt Kearney Solar Farm, and Rex generated by a Community Energy, Inc., Wind Farm. If you'd like to learn more about Rex and S-Rex, I suggest that you pick up a copy of this month's Novigradic Journal of Tax Credits. Forrest Milders, The Current, has an article that discusses these credits. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber to the journal, please go to www.novaco.com forward slash products. In new market tax credit news, I'd like to share a highlight from last week's Novagratic New Markets Tax Credit Conference in San Diego. We were pleased to welcome the CDFI Fund's Bob Ibanez as a keynote speaker at the conference. Ibanez touched briefly on the CDF Fund's plans if the New Market Tax Credit is extended too late to be included in the current round. Regular listeners will recall that the 2013 and 2014 rounds are combined in the current round, contingent, of course, on timely extension of the program. Ibanez indicated that if the new market task credit is not extended in a timely manner, then the fiscal year 2014 and 2015 rounds may be combined. He also updated attendees on the CDFI Fund's progress reviewing the current round of new market tax credit allocation applications. Ibanez said the 310 applications submitted for the current round are still being reviewed, and those reviews would continue through the end of this month. While he was careful not to give a specific date or window, he did say the next round of award announcements would be held sometime in the spring. And on another note, Ivan has reminded the audience that the CDFI Fund is accepting public comments on the New Market Tax Credit Allocation application. All comments must be received by March 17th, and the New Market Tax Credit Working Group is working on comments. He said at the big-picture level, some of the goals are to reduce ambiguity and redundancy, more closely align the contents with allocation material, and improve clarity for applicants. He also mentioned some specific points that may be revised. He noted that the CDFI Fund may consider amending the management capacity and related exhibits so they're no longer scored or instead only evaluated by program staff during the Phase two of the application review process. This is just a sample of Bob Ibanez's remarks. To hear his full keynote address and to gain access to other valuable information that was presented to attendees at last week's New Market Tax Credit Conference, stay tuned for an announcement about the release of the conference recording, which should be available next week and can be found at novacocom forward slash products. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. As I mentioned earlier, next week I'll bring you details from the State of the Union address. I'll also share several calls to include the production tax credit as part of the tax code. This is Michael Novogratic, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratic & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratic & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.